Truth is, it's something that many of us have experienced at one time or another. You get pulled over by a police officer during a routine traffic stop. I need your license and registration, sir. And then you simply deal with the repercussions from there. But what if that speeding ticket or illegal U-turn carried with it a multi-year sentence in prison? Well, for thousands of people on probation and parole in America, that is the reality of their daily lives. Any misstep, no matter how minor, can land them back behind bars, often for significant amounts of time. 10 years of probation set me back many, many, many times on my way to success. One person who lives with this reality on a daily basis is rap artist and criminal justice activist Meek Mill. A highly controversial gun arrest at the age of 18 placed him inside a legal maze that he's still trying to navigate today at the age of 32. The current system has impacted both his personal life as well as his professional career, but it's also prompted him to talk publicly about the need for reform, and today, he's speaking with us. I'm David Abair, and you're listening to Deep Dive with Laura Arnold, an issues-based podcast produced by the Arnold Ventures Philanthropy. In this episode, Pardons and Paroles in America, just where can we find that difficult balance between a legitimate need for accountability and simply setting people up for inevitable failure? So, with that as the backdrop, here's Laura Arnold and her conversation with rapper and activist Meek Mill. It's a pleasure to be here today with Meek Mill, yeah. who single-handedly is raising the cool factor of Deep Dive by at least 10,000%. So we yeah. are so excited that you, you are here. Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah. Now, we all know who you are. You are one of the most successful rap artists of today. You're yeah. ever-present in Philadelphia. You're supportive of your community. You're often seen at 76ers games. You're seen. You have a massive social media following. And... But Thank most you. recently, you're actually known for something else, yeah. which is for being the new face of a movement to bring awareness to injustices in our criminal justice system. And that's actually what we're here to talk about today. Yeah. So we'll get to your work in criminal justice in a moment. But first, I'd like to ask you a few questions about your background. Yeah. You grew up in Philadelphia. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about your story. Uh, I grew up in Philadelphia, uh, North Philadelphia, in the beginning of my life, and I would say South Philadelphia, uh, probably from uh, 14 years old on out. And uh, when I say Philadelphia, Philadelphia is a nice place. You know, we got a lot of landmarks and things and a lot of history behind it uh, in the downtown areas and uh, probably 15, 20 minutes, probably 10, 15 minutes away from downtown, northeast, south and west. Uh, I like the ghettos of Philadelphia, some of the lowest parts of America, and I grew up in them parts. And uh, basically, grew up in an environment where you see a lot of death, a lot of violence, a lot of people uh, in and out of prison. Now, your father was unfortunately killed when you were around five years old? Yeah, my father was killed uh, when I was five years old, which is not uh, unusual in the ghetto. A lot of us lose our fathers to like gun violence and to the system. Uh, my mother was like a single parent mother working eight hours a day. So, you know, I always explain it like in an easier way where I'm like, yeah, your mom at work eight hours a day, your dad in the graveyard. So who's basically raising you basically being raised by the streets and your mother ain't doing anything wrong by going to work eight hours a day. Uh, uh, I'll probably say she making thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year. So not really like nanny money to have somebody back to watch you fully while she at work. So basically growing up in the streets and growing up 
around the ruthless people I'm talking about, the people in the corners, some of the people that's selling drugs. You know, you grow up really kind of like idolizing these people. And what was uh, your first encounter with the criminal justice system? Uh, I went back to school. I got suspended from school. And uh, I didn't want to tell my mom I was suspended. So, you know, I just woke up the next day and went back to school. Uh, when I went back to the school, I got arrested for a trespass. And I think that was my very first time being arrested. And, and how old were you? Uh, probably, I don't remember, probably like 10, 11, 12 years old. There's another way that your story actually is unfortunately not unique. Yeah. You were convicted of a crime with dubious evidence yeah. and uh, where there were very serious process failures. Yeah. Tell us about that. It was just a lot of trauma going on in my area. So it was like almost mandatory to carry a gun even till this day. Like I got arrested for the gun. Like I knew what the consequences of being arrested for a gun, your first time offense, uh, what type of time it carried. So. Uh, I was ready for that because everybody in my neighborhood was losing their lives and even my father lost his life, my cousins, uncles, all types of people. So, you know, that was like a fear of mine. So where you come from these type of places, uh, the smart decision to do is carry a gun. Anybody in this room, if you was in these environments, you would just make the smart decision if that was your uh, obstacle and that's what you were facing. And I actually was carrying a gun and uh, I had came out of house the house I was coming out was my cousin's house, and I guess the police were doing a raid on that house. And when I'm coming out of the house, they're coming around the corner. So when they're coming around the corner, uh, they jump out, maybe four cops. All they have vests on and say police. Uh, it's some cops running up the block. They don't really have. they just in plain clothes. And basically, they cornered me, and they cornered me, and I put the gun on the ground and put my hands in the air. And um, you were around 18, is that right? Yeah, I was 18 years old. I, maybe 18 or 19, maybe, I think. I think 18. One thing that I found very, very moving about one of your interviews is an interview you did in CNN yeah. uh, not too long ago where yeah. someone asked you, well, you did bad stuff, right? Yeah. You were, you actually had, you, you were having a gun, you were, you yeah. were holding a gun, you were, yeah. you were committing a crime and your response I thought was very moving. Essentially, it makes the argument you didn't play by the rules. If you hadn't played by the rules, you wouldn't have had issues with the system. The first step, I would say, I grew up in America in a ruthless neighborhood where we're not protected by police. We're not. We grew up with people selling drugs on our neighborhood, on our front steps. We grew up in ruthless environments. We grew up around murder. You see murder seven days a week. I think if you grew up in my neighborhood, you see seven people die a week. I think you would probably carry a gun yourself. So you were carrying a gun. The police comes into this house, arrests you. Yeah. Tell me what happened in court. Yeah. Uh, well, two years later, I probably served up to probably like 16 months in prison until I had to go to trial because uh, I spent time in jail because I didn't have bail money. Uh, when I got to the police station, my bail was probably about 360000 I was charged with pointing a firearm at two police officers. Like, I'm stupid enough as a black man to point a gun at a firearm at a, at a police officer. That's suicide. So I was charged with selling cocaine to uh, two undercover cops. And I was found with only, like, uh, I used to smoke marijuana at the time. I was found with, like, two bags of weed in my pocket, like $7. I didn't really have any money at all. Like, I wasn't, like, a cocaine selling. Like, I got found with $5,000 on me, and I had probably seven. Ten dollars in my pocket, two bags of marijuana, um, and you were assessed bail at three hundred some thousand dollars, yeah, which dying. you couldn't pay, so you stayed in jail. Yeah, so I ended up getting out. Uh, after you spend time, more time in jail, you get your bail lowered. So after a bunch of months, I ended up getting out. So a few things I found noteworthy about your case. 
So first, you waived your right to a jury trial because of cost, because you knew that it was going to be expensive. Uh, no, I waived my right to jury trial because, you know, it's two ways. If you go to jury trial, you get the maximum penalty. Mm-hmm. So this is where, like, the biggest kicker is in uh, the criminal justice system. Uh, you have people where you might have a better shot if you were judged by 12 people. But if you were judged by 12 people... Uh, you face getting the maximum penalty of all crimes, but if you go in front of a judge, uh, you could get, you could get the minimum, whatever the judge wants to give you. So you know, nine times out of ten, people don't really have the, the lawyer, the financial power to have, uh, to go for a jury, and you know, you might get twenty years, and you go in front of a judge, you get one or two years. So you right. Know, and there's a lot uh, to question about your case. There are yeah. a lot of facts, uh, witnesses that, that are potentially unreliable. The police officer that accused you of pointing the gun was himself investigated for corruption, for being yeah. a dirty cop. So there's lots of complexity to your case and lots of reason to believe that you were yeah, wrongfully a, convicted. Yeah. So you got sentenced to two years in prison and eight years of probation. Yeah. When, when they pulled the sheets, when they pulled the records, these guys had a lot of... Uh, things that they said they lied about people and it was actually a secret list in philadelphia behind the old district attorney administration where uh it was about 23 or 16 cops that weren't allowed to testify in philadelphia anymore and uh, yeah, the cop that locked me up actually happened to be on that list. So you were fortunate in that you were able to, to dig very deeply and find these arguments that were compelling, and you only served five months. Yeah. But you still had to serve the very long probation sentence. So let's just clarify for uh, those of us who aren't super clear on the distinction between uh, probation and parole and when we talk about community supervision. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to spend a little bit of time clarifying what the terms are. When we talk about community supervision, we're often talking about both probation and parole. Yeah. So probation is community supervision that the court sets instead of sending you to jail or prison. Yeah. And parole is a conditional release from prison. So you're already in prison, but you are released to community supervision after you've served the jail term. Yeah. But with both of those, a parole officer or a probation officer can send you to jail if you violate the terms of probation. Yeah. And the terms, we often talk uh, in the reform community, we often talk about the fact that there's lots of technical violations. So you yeah. could fail a drug test, you could... Uh, police not- contact. Police yeah, contact, That's, a, that's yeah. the like most, like as a black male, if I hung him, uh, still hanged out in my uh, old neighborhood in Philadelphia, People like me, we come in contact with police. If you look like this, if you dress like this in these areas, they are bad environments. And uh, police yeah. contact is enough to get you a technical violation. And and technical violations in, in Pennsylvania, if I had eight years of probation, I could get eight years given back to me in prison time just because I came in contact with a police officer. Yeah, well, your home state is actually... Uh, an outlier in certain senses, but yeah. in in Pennsylvania, there is no limit on the length of prison time for a technical violation. No, meaning that you can fail. You fail a drug test, you could go to prison for years. Yeah. So, and there's virtually no limit on the overall length of probation. You could be on probation for twenty years. Uh, my sentence started off as ten years of probation and ended <laughs> up turning into sixteen years of probation. So, uh, as of now, I get off probation on two thousand. In 23, uh, I think it is. You were released from prison mm-hmm. and had to, we're still on probation. Tell us about the incident <clears throat> where you violated probation and they sent you back to prison. 
it actually was two uh, incidents where uh, one time I was in the airport, and this is breaking it down as real as possible. Like when you're in the airport, they have thousands of cameras in the airport. I'm walking through the airport. Uh, I just woke up. Uh, a, a guy that works at the airport walked up to me and asked me for a picture. Being as though I just woke up, I'm I'm not in shape to take a picture right now. So I'm like, I can't take a picture right now. The guy followed us all the way out. Actually, I had police escorting me. So the guy just cussing me out, following me out as the police escort me to my car. Uh, I go to my car, go to my show after party. By the time show after party, go to the hotel, pack up. It's about 6, 7 o'clock in the morning again. I never even went to sleep. Like, I'm trying to get back on the plane and go to sleep. When I get back to the airport, this guy, he works at the airport, so he know when my flight is leaving back out. He's back at the front door. Uh, uh, my guys walk in to take their uh, bags in to check it in. The guy approaches my guys. Uh, he actually swings on my guy first. And the, the guy he swings on is like my little brother. He's a kid from Baltimore. And these things I do out of kindness of my heart. Like, he's a kid from Baltimore. He was shot in his head. His brother was killed. We both ride bikes. I actually took him out of that bad community and was having him on the road with me. So he's like my little brother. Uh, kid weighed two, 300 pounds, punches on him. He like 130 pounds, you know. I get out and defend my family member, you know. Uh, get back in the car. The cops lock us up. They take me to the back. Once they see the footage... They gave me a citation. They told the, they. I think they charged the kid. Gave me a citation. Nothing. I never had to go to court for. Uh, probably six months later, I was at uh, Uptown New York Dykeman area, uh, attending the charity basketball game. After the charity basketball game, I went home the next day. Came back. I uh, shot a music video in that area where it was bikes around. You know, and not if you follow the history of me, I've been riding bikes uh, my whole life uh, from the age of sixteen to. 32 now and I always I'm a public figure I put it on pictures of videos I put it on my Instagram and and I was willing and I I, uh, I went home and I actually came back to that same area the next day they locked me up I'm like what am I getting locked up for so you know uh, months later I, the case was thrown out they gave me a traffic violation but still I had to go back in front of the probation judge the judge who sentenced me to probation and she gave me a two to four year sentence so the citation uh, in the airport, a self-defense was thrown away. The popping of Willie, which they, they actually charged me with an F1 felony at first, uh, it was thrown away without me even attending. I attended court at a preliminary, thrown away, and still had to go back to court in Philadelphia and was sentenced to two to four years. And that's basically for police contact because I came in contact with the police, never found guilty of any crime and never committed any crime or was accused of any criminal activity. So you went back to prison. Yeah. And that is when... I went to a state penitentiary where I've never been. This was like a new stage right here where you're actually with the people who are found convicted of rape, murder. Like I'm living with these people seven days a week. And that is when the Free Meek movement started. Yeah. Tell us about that because that was an overwhelming public outcry and an overwhelming number of people who rallied in support of you. Uh, I think that was just uh, the public being fed up. Uh, they seen me grow from 18 years old up till 32 years old. And it's kind of like a big difference. I do a lot of for my community. I told you uh, I grew up in a, a ruthless environment. from So the early ages of my life, I still was like shaking the ways that I had growing up the way I grew. But I wasn't committing crime. Like I just was shaking like ignorant ways that I had coming from. Uh, these environments and people see me growing they see me do a lot for my community at this time I'm 
31 years old when they're doing this. So, you know, I think everyone in the industry, people from the city of Philadelphia, these people have been in contact with me and I've been in these neighborhoods and, and been in these schools, not just doing like a, a turkey drive on Thanksgiving, actually, no, really passing out, making sure all the kids in my neighborhood have coats to go to school when it's cold out, making sure all the shelters, uh, being able to enjoy holidays myself, like, and these things that wouldn't get publicized the way they should, because I'm doing them myself. And I think my city got fed up. And at the time, uh, I was in like solitary confinement and I had like one CEO was telling me like, yo, you have like a lot of people out here marching for you and like standing up for you. And I was like, I didn't have any contact with the world. And I just was, I couldn't really get excited because I couldn't see it. But when I got out and got sent to a state penitentiary, I was seeing like national news, like CNN, uh, all the, all the big, big big news platforms at talking about it and this was a lot of uh, and a lot of artists beyonce jay-z some wealthy people people rallied around you because your experience spoke to them yeah and these people actually knew my character and i think they believed that like this and this is the big kicker you have a lot of kids doing time in penitentiaries, like I said, with murderers and rapists, like because of technical violation. You are raising these kids in prisons around killers like me. When I went, I'm 31 years old, so I know how to I know who to involve myself with and who to take information with and who to let it go with. You are raising these kids from these ruthless environments, taking them, putting them on probation and then putting them inside these prisons. And my celly might be a 45-year-old a lifer, a guy who killed six people. He may be rehabilitated, but his mind, he's not in a in a in a in a condition to raise an 18-year-old kid that he's living with. And you know, when they do these things, these situations, these these things will continue on and on. And these kids will come out with worse of mind frames than they actually went in with. And uh, just for technical violations. And it's not really committing crime. So, you know, you think I didn't commit crime and got put in a state penitentiary. I'm 32 years old. I got put on probation when I was 18 years old. So everything in between, I never have committed crime. But at 32 years old, I got took off from paying taxes, uh, doing community service, actually taking care of my community, uh, making money, having a job, employing people, uh, still rising above when the eyes were against me coming from these situations I came from. And took from this high being placed back in a penitentiary, which is actually worse than being broke. It's below zero because you got your freedom took away from you. So if you think someone like me who had that much going on, imagine when they do that to kids or uh, young men and women who don't have anything going on. It's like the odds against you at times times 100, you know, when you get took from maybe you got out of prison and you did do something wrong, maybe. I put on probation and you got a job and you've been working at this job for, say, nine years. And one day you are stressed out. You smoke marijuana uh, or you might got PTSD. You seen a lot of murders in your neighborhood. You can't sleep at night. You smoke marijuana. Nine years, you get locked up for six months. And six months is called lenient. Uh, that's lenient to them. Uh, right. And six, in the interim, you lose your job. Yeah, you lose six your months, kids. You can lose you your lose, life. Yeah. You, know, you can lose everything, your job. You can lose your kids to the government, to the state, everything in six months. Where do you go from there on out? And Mick, you and um, your friend Michael Rubin and yeah. some others created a movement, yeah. an organization called Reform. Yeah. Tell me about that and tell us about what you hope to accomplish. 
Uh, the support I had was like from like Michael Rubin, Jay Z, Beyonce, Robert Kraft, maybe uh, Clara Sine, Mike Novogratz, Robert Smith. We just wanted to combine all of them and do like something like Avengers and come up with a way to use our influence, money, every anything, our resources to to make the biggest change we could possibly make in like in the criminal justice system, probably starting with parole and probation because you know a lot of people is probably uh how many people in America is it four hundred thousand people? At least three hundred and fifty thousand people are sent to jail or prison every year for yeah. a violation of a supervision condition. And, and me like uh like even speaking on like Colin Kaepernick, I always thought like police brutality was bad. I even was brutalized by police myself, but I always deep in my mind used to think about how many people, families get ruined, how many lives get ruined on paper through the court papers where they just reprimand you back to prison because of a violation. And I, sometimes they reprimand you and send you back to prison for something that you can't control, yeah. like drug addiction. Yeah. You have a you've had experiences with drug yeah, addiction and, and you got violated because of your addiction to Percocet. Yeah, like Can you I talk about I, that? Yes. Uh I was I was sent to the dentist probably in 2013, 14 when I got two of my wisdom teeth pulled and uh I was prescribed Percocets and probably I had a show every night, probably three days after I got my teeth pulled. So, you know, I used to take two or three of them every night before I went to sleep so I wouldn't feel it when I performed. And, you know, that kept going. And I did that for two weeks straight. And then one day I didn't do it. My body just felt like I felt bad. I felt sluggish all day. And I felt like I needed to take these pills again. And I took them pills again. And uh, actually, I got addicted. And, you know, when I went to where I'm from in Philadelphia, if you get one dirty yarn, like you're going to prison. It's, it's nothing to stop that. It's 98, 90 percent of the time you get an opiate dirty yarn, you're going to prison. So when you go see a probation officer, uh, would the smart thing be to tell your probation officer that I'm addicted to Percocets? No, because I, I my whole career is on the line. I have a family back home. I'm trying to go home tonight. My freedom is on the line. And so, you know, I never told my probation officer and. I had a dirty yarn and, you know, uh, time to go back to court. And and fast forward, I, I I was locked up, I think, two times for that. I was put in prison two times for addiction. Uh, and they had programs. They actually have, City of Philadelphia had programs where you can be sent to rehab. And if it's really bad, you can be sent to rehab where you stay the night at, you know. Uh, right. I and never, one of the reforms that your organization and many reform communities are trying to push forward is to not have somebody who is who has an addiction be sent to prison yeah. for that, but rather have that person deal with the underlying cause, deal with the treatment and put that person on a path to success yeah. as opposed to locking them up in jail where they're not going to get treatment. You're not addressing the, the underlying issue and they're likely to destroy their lives they use my probation to a suburban area i used to always tell my judge that i don't think it's safe for me to live in this area i'm telling you this is a city where 400 black men look like me die a year uh they let me use move my probation to uh montgomery county which is a suburban probation where they deal with a lot it's it's, it's more caucasian than black where it's a lot of kids that's addicted to opiates on these probations and my probation officer that i'm telling you about that is like a coach she like I had a dirty urine. She asked me, do you have a problem? I said, yes, I have a problem because I believed in my heart she wouldn't just send me straight to prison. She put me in a program right then and there. 
And I told her, I was like, I was, I'm a celebrity, ma'am. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in a program where I'm in a room with 20 people and have to pour out my business in front of 20 people who know me and I don't know them. I wouldn't really participate as much as I should. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, if I could pay my own money, you can approve it. You could pick where I could actually really get uh, the treatment I need. Um I'm ready to go. And she and, let you do that. Yeah, she let me do that. And I never took a Percocet in my life. It's been two, probably two and a half years, maybe three years from that day. I think that was January 2017. I mean, do you think that you'll always be an activist, given what you felt and what you've experienced? Yeah, I think this has been placed on my life. I'm actually a not even a survivor. I'm on I'm on bell. Like I wake up every day. Like a woman that works for Rock Nation, she texts me today and said, "Yeah, come through the building today. I need something to talk to you about." She was a part of helping me get out of prison. I had to text her back like, "Does can you tell me what you're talking about?" I'm thinking she's talking about uh, Supreme Court answer today or the court's answer today. You got to go back to prison next week. You know, I wake up every day with that on my mind. Of I'm on bell. I could tomorrow they could answer and say. You got to go back to prison or uh, I could get grabbed by the police for anything, for busting a U-turn or speeding in a car. Yeah. So you served five months. Yeah. Uh, there was this public outcry. You got out of prison. Yeah. But you're out on bail because your case is still pending. Yeah. So you so you still have the specter and this dark cloud of this case that needs to be resolved. And you're still on probation. Is yeah, that right? I could wake up tomorrow and go back to a state penitentiary. So, you know, that's still on my mind every day. And I was about to say a survivor. I live in this every day. So, you know, I'm a fighter and I feel like I have a platform and I got a voice to really fight. Like a lot of people, they might hear my music. You might hear Meek Mill. Uh uh, activist for reform or speaker for reform and then you might hear my music is talking about it has it's, it's an underlined with violence and things like that but these are the things that i actually came from i'm not promoting violence it's like actually being a, a social forecaster when you go to a, it's a page called no gun zone on instagram if you go to it one day you see it probably two three people dying in my city every day I'm the social forecaster talking about the obstacles and the ways out and what I had to do to make it out through these things. So, you know, it's it's two different sides to me. And I always still wanted to be labeled as me. I'm, I'm Meek Mill and Robert Williams. Uh, this is just my life. And I'm speaking up for the people who don't have a voice. Well, Meek, what do you say to critics who say that you need these draconian rules? Yeah. Because people need to know that actions have consequences. Yeah. That's a really prevalent talking point, unfortunately, in a lot of in a lot of circles of yeah. people who don't live but, what you lived. Uh, let the actions be actually make sense. You know, you have people. It's common sense. Like if you look at it, like like I just told you, this girl smoked marijuana and got, smoking marijuana doesn't even hold six months of prison and six months, which being the most lenient. A sentence you could get probably for a technical violation. This girl was working for eight years and uh, made a U-turn or got police contact. Now she got three, four years in prison. I don't think anybody in this world, if you think if you have a religion and you believe in God, you know, you have sins. I think probably everyone in the world have sinned before. So, you know, that's your mistake. You're on probation with God. The next time you sin, you got to do six months in hell and feel fire. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of. It's kind of rough. And uh, me, I come from 
ruthless environments where people don't even give you a second chance. People that look like you will kill you over the smallest things. I still have an open enough heart to know like people deserve chances in life to make it. That's just period. I have an eight-year-old son. He doesn't do everything right. Uh, my mother raised me from work, from being on welfare, not having anything. Me being raised by some failure some people that failed on the corner and me looking up to these guys and me coming in the house with these ways my mom knew i needed chances and i got chances and i came back and changed everything about my family so so you know if you don't believe people in the world deserve chances uh you might got a lot of waking up to do you know if you commit crime you should go to jail and you should do the time that uh comes with that crime and i think any criminal that dedicated to living a life of crime you know when you get caught for doing this crime it's time to go to jail but you got people making honest mistakes going back to prison and actually doing good you know what i'm saying like i'm not here speaking for like low lives people who don't work people who don't take care of their families people who don't do what they're supposed to do to move forward in life I'm speaking for the people who actually are trying to escape these situations and better themselves. And I always been trying to do that. And if I didn't have it was many times where I'm like, man, I'm turning back. I'm going to jail anyway. It's, it's, and, and that's what where I come from. A lot of kids growing up, people tell you, you could be anything you want to be. At one point in my life, I didn't believe that. I was like, I'm going to go to jail. Or I'm going to die anyway. So there's no need to even try to be the best I can be. So, you know. Well, Meek, you're an inspiration to so many of us. And we are grateful yeah, that you, you spent time that. with us here on Deep Dive. And more importantly, we're grateful that you do the work that you do. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on Deep Dive. Uh, thank you for having me. And I appreciate Thanks, you for me. having me. Thank you. At Arnold Ventures, our mission is to maximize opportunity and minimize injustice. And reaching this goal requires us to re-examine the fundamental fairness of our current probation and parole systems. What we heard today, Meek Mill's case, is a glaring example of how this current system can, and often does, create and perpetuate a destructive cycle. We can all agree that poor decisions should carry consequences. And of course, being offered a second chance does come with certain levels of responsibility. But the punishment should also fit the crime. And doling out multi-year prison sentences for relatively minor infractions flies in the face of fundamental fairness. You've been listening to Deep Dive with Laura Arnold, produced by the Arnold Ventures Philanthropy. If you'd like to learn more about their organization, check out their website at arnoldventures.org. Arnold Ventures, by maximizing opportunity and minimizing injustice, we make change for the greater good. Again, that website is arnoldventures.org. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you again next time on Deep Dive.